Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Dan Pepper. Dan has been a multifamily real estate investor for 12 years. He focuses on 20 to 150 unit communities in West Florida. In addition to investing, he and his partner, Josh Diggs, provide property management to out-of-town investors through their firm, Palm Communities. So how's it going today, Dan? Good, Charles. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I wanted to go over a few things. I know we met at a uh, Tampa RIA meetup about a year ago, and um, you, you uh, explained that you, you work with a lot of investors, and um, most of them U.S. investors, but you also have a handful of foreign investors. And uh, how did you get started in real estate investing? Well, long story, uh, although all, all good ones are. Uh, after college, uh, I wanted to be an investor, you know, kind of choosing between public stocks and private real estate. I think I just enjoyed the touching kind of tangible part of real estate, probably something a lot of people uh, can relate to. Um, I also sort of believe that loans and proper leverage, not anything crazy, but proper leverage on deals allow you greater returns on capital in real estate versus the stock market that, you know, buying at $50 a share and hoping it gets to $70 a share, for example. Um, but I was green. Uh, I knew I would probably lose a lot of money in real estate diving straight in as an investor. So um, I wanted to kind of cut my teeth either as a loan underwriter, uh, I guess kind of understanding that I could either uh, sort of understand how loans, lenders, banks, private capital, uh, how they think and decide about providing sometimes 70, 80% of the capital needed to buy real estate. Uh, I just thought that, you know, the, the, the underwriting uh, process for, you know, your, your listeners who uh, get loans, it, it's, it's often opaque. It's hard to understand and how lenders make their decisions. So I thought it would be uniquely interesting to understand how those decisions were made. Um, but then also I thought uh, if it wasn't lending, I'd also enjoy, you know, serving as a broker, uh, someone who transacts commercial real estate, uh, sort of uniquely seeing how buyers and sellers are motivated to make decisions. Uh, you know, a broker's job is to build a smokescreen between the buyer and seller. So I kind of wanted to peek behind that curtain. Uh, it just so happened that I was able to connect uh, on the broker's side with a great company, Marcus and Melichap, uh, that. I'm sure many of your listeners know. Um, and just a, a good example of sort of what I mean that I wanted to understand the process behind things. Uh, on the broker side, a great example, um, when you're a buyer you know, going to buy property, a broker will tell you they have 10 offers on the table. Uh, what they won't tell you is that five of those offers are lowball, four aren't really qualified buyers. So you know, at the end of the day, you really only have one competitor. Um, 
So anyways, that kind of allowed me to think that when I was investor down the line, I could understand the process better. Yeah, that's anyways, a, as, yeah, that's a great way of doing it, going back from that way through. And um, then when you start investing, you already have framework to know exactly how the system works and know, uh, you know, what, 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 you know, what they're trying to tell you, what they're trying to uh, make you believe when you're buying a property, which is so true because they might have multiple offers and you have to sign the multiple offer form. But then you figure out later that, you know, you you were, you were ahead all the time. It's just, it's funny how that works. But, um, yeah. so you had you, a couple different projects. I know you were working on with other investors and one of them was very interesting here. You helped a group of uh, Venezuelan clients take a 48 unit property completely through the business plan from the purchase, the renovation, the sale, which is very interesting because normally you will find the investors that will bring you on later or bring you on during the process or bring you on later during the process once they've already, you know, made a mistake or done something. So how did that go? They, they purchased it and you knew of them beforehand? Yeah. So just quickly, the, the bridge, the, the gap here. So when I was at Marcus and Millichap, I was focused on uh, office and medical kind of healthcare properties. Uh, but as you and many listeners know, Marcus is a huge multifamily transaction shop. So I kind of got the multifamily bug and I started buying some small multifamily properties <clears throat> while I was still at Marcus. Um, I realized that in the long run, brokerage wasn't for me. Uh, it's a very cutthroat field. I much more enjoyed kind of a I don't know relationship building because brokers build fantastic relationships. But uh, anyways, I went out, started doing investing full time, uh, bought a number of small multifamily properties, fixed them up, sold some. Uh, and in the process, we started managing some of the deals that we were selling. So uh, we had a 16 unit that I sold and I started working with a partner, Josh Diggs, who's an awesome investor, super creative guy. And we started realizing that we could kind of put our talents to managing. So um, we sold a 16 unit to a buyer who needed a management company. He interviewed a bunch of companies, didn't really like what he found. And so he said, you know, hey, can you guys stay on? We kind of did it as a favor to him and started managing some other properties he had. And then just sort of organically through referrals and word of mouth, we don't advertise at all. Uh, we started managing now about 500 units. So in that roundabout way, to get to this 48 unit um, that you're mentioning, so uh, it was actually a Marcus transaction. Marcus and Melichap sold a 48 unit in Tampa to a group from Venezuela. Mm -hmm. They were new to the U.S. and I think in many ways new to that size of deal and multifamily. So uh, Marcus had referred us because we had done right by a couple clients of theirs on the management side. Mm -hmm. Um, so we came in to kind of help the folks through the buying process, through the rehab and value add process, and then actually ultimately they ended up selling it. Um, there were a lot of lessons to be learned, but it was, it was a good deal for them. Uh, just to give you some kind of example numbers, uh, the group bought the property in 2016 for about 3.3 million. And frankly, it was a low cap rate. Um, in other words, you know, the return to them was quite low. Uh, over two years, we did a pretty heavy turnaround on the property. Um, great example, my partner Josh was there on Christmas Eve for a police raid of a drug oh, wow. dealer's unit. Um, you know, we, we had some serious folks to clean out of the property there. Um, 
So over the two years, we were able to kind of reposition the property, do some light rehabs and, and renovations to the interiors. And we ended up raising monthly collections from about 29000 a month to about 39000 a month. Uh, applied to a cap rate that adds a lot of value. Um, the, the owners ended up selling it in 2018 for just about $4 million, uh, which is around a 700000 gain over a two-year period. So it was a good foray, uh, lots of lessons to be learned. But I think at the end, the clients were very happy to, to make a good return like that. What were the, obviously to make money, but what were, they did a two-year hold, so obviously they were appreciation investors. I guess they didn't really care too much about the cash flow. Is that what their goal was when they went in? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think in its simplest form, uh, you and, you know, your listeners and partners know that uh, at a very high level, when you buy property, you can either, you know, spit off a nice steady cash flow sort of coupon clip return, mm-hmm. or you can reinvest that capital you get on the rents coming in to improve the property. And then your return really comes when you sell it. Mm-hmm. It's more the appreciation gain. So in this case, the the investors knew from the start, you know, we don't really need a, a great coupon clip. We don't need great cash flow. We're looking to build wealth and appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were able to reinvest the capital we were getting in rents to put toward renovating the units and ultimately selling a, at a good price for them. What, um, have they looked at anything else? Are they interested in buying again in Tampa or anywhere else in West Florida in your area? Oh yeah. Um, they've looked a lot in Tampa. I think they have started to realize at least in the, certainly in the core markets, they're actually, they actually live in Miami now, uh, in the more core markets like Miami, DC, New York, LA, I think they realize that the market is is very tight on the investment side. It's very hard to find properties with a decent yield. So they had kind of moved into Tampa Bay, which is a bit more secondary. Um, I think they're even finding that now, even in the secondary markets, pricing's tight. So they've actually gone sort of tertiary. They bought, uh, I think, about 120 unit or so in Gainesville. And they're basically doing the same thing there. They're installing washer-dryer connections in the units, like you know, hard flooring instead of carpet doing a value add program there and produce the same sort of result. Yeah, it's great. There's so many different markets and uh, without, especially in Florida, like little markets and little, you know, secondary and tertiary markets. Um, there's a, you had another property that we had spoken about previously and it was for a client, a British client and they had a 12 unit and you came in, I guess, after all the trouble had already started and uh, you were, had to clean up another mess from another manager. How did, how did you guys go about that? What kind of problems did the owner and, and you guys have as a management company once you got started there? Yeah, well, I think uh, perhaps that was a good anecdote about the value of having good boots on the ground. Everyone uses that phrase and says, you know, if I'm going to be an international investor um, placing capital across, you know, an entire ocean, I can't be there every day. I need a local kind of expert or team to assist on the basics in the day-to-day. Um, this British client, they bought a 12-unit, fairly small property uh, in Clearwater, so toward the beaches in Tampa Bay. Uh, they bought it in, I believe it was 2017, um, and they actually interviewed us for management with a few other firms. And I actually gave them a few other names just so they could have 
some folks to interview and kind of make sure they made a good decision instead of just pulling the trigger and going with us. Mm -hmm. uh, they ended up interviewing a group that was willing to manage for a lower fee than us. I think it ended up being about 1% of gross income less than we were. Uh, just as an example, I think maybe we were uh, going to earn an 8% management fee of collected income and that group agreed to do it for seven. So, you know, understandably, everyone's looking to save costs where they can. So uh, the client ended up uh, going with another group to manage the property. Uh, we kept in touch. Um, I always just kind of like to see how deals are going. Uh, about six, eight months into the deal, they quickly realized that you kind of get what you pay for. This group was sort of known for being a low fee shop in town uh, and also a low touch one. They kind of spread their staff too thin, calls went unanswered, maintenance calls went unanswered, and uh, occupancy started when they bought the property about 92%. I think it dropped to maybe 50% or so within that first six months, and really no plan or action to reoccupy the property. It was just, you know, you you would try calling the phone number on the sign and no one would pick up. So the the folks that bought the property switched to another management company, uh, actually separate from us, that had also agreed to work for that lower fee. That company, over the next maybe eight to nine months, drove the property from 50% occupied to around 40%. Um, so anyways, I think the, the I had kept in touch with the owners, and they said, you know what, we're out of town. Uh, we're on the phone with these folks a lot, but they're not really getting results. We will gladly pay you 1% more collections if you can reposition the property. So anyways, we came in and over the next six months in our tenure, boosted occupancy up to 100% and also got the property into more of what I would call an offensive position. Uh, you know, defensive, when you're losing tenants, you do whatever you can to keep people, even if it's lowering the rent, if it's bending over backward form, free rent, uh, et cetera. Once we have a property full, we have a waiting list, mm -hmm. we're much more able to drive rent growth. And so we were able, even on those existing tenants, the other kind of 40%, we were able to, to bump their rents up. Um, it ended up being a nice deal for the British clients. Uh, they exited, they sold the property two years after their initial term. So it was really, what, nine or 10 months after we started managing. Uh, they sold the property for about a 40% gain from their purchase price. So. And the other thing that's kind of scary about that when vacancy is going down, as you know, maintenance issues are not being addressed. So there was probably a ton of deferred maintenance, which should, should have been you know, regularly addressed that you guys had to take care of as well, not just adding paying, good paying tenants to it. Uh, what, kind of, what, what kind of property was it? C, C, C or B? Uh, yeah, it started as probably like a C plus and we moved it into the B category nice. uh, for them. So that was part of the, the kind of nine month process was repositioning it. We did some renovations to the units uh, and it was, it was a painful time for them. Uh, you know, they, uh, we had to, the 40% the occupied, the 40% of uh, kind of the rents that were coming in, we had to use those funds to cover their property taxes, their insurance and try to fund renovation through that money. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of sort of saved up or side capital. Uh, they, they were able to contribute a little bit to put toward the renos, but uh, I actually, for a couple of months, we even put in kind of a small personal operating loan just to kind of help flip the property and get it through. And of course they were very thankful. And as a result, 
you know, they sold it a nice gain. So um, in the end, it kind of all worked out. But, uh, you know, I'm sure your listeners listen to plenty of uh, radio and interviews. And folks always tell you about the great things and things that go right. In the end, the deal did go right. But there's a lot of pain on the owner pushing through very tight cash. I mean, $5 yeah. in the bank account type of situation. He had no financing on this, I imagine. Is that correct? He paid cash for this property? They did have debt, but it was some sort of an international, uh, I think it was like a personal friend of theirs that provided debt. So I think the kind of debt provider agreed to to forego yeah. payments while we reposition the property. You know, we could kind of demonstrate, look, we're, we're turning the property around, give us a few months to get this property, the ship righted so that mm-hmm. we can get you back on track. Yeah, because I would imagine that uh, they were, if you had a regular debt, uh, debt financing on this property, they would have been, you know, they, they might've had some many different stipulations come into play there where you might be putting money into a reserve or something like this to even start obviously, because with reserves, but at this point going down to 40% occupancy, they might've even taken control of the property in one way or another. I mean, that's very low. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it could have been much more ugly. You're right. Debt providers are, are known for uh, not being too patient or lenient on their uh, their policies. So, um, you know, I, I would just say it's, it's a great anecdote or example that, you know, when your listeners go and buy property abroad, uh, you can call that company as much as you want to try to get them to act. At the end of the day, the company is either going to be responsive and sort of on top of things or they aren't. Um, you know, in, in the world of property management, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of investors, as they look at different markets, whether it's Texas or Boston or Florida, uh, they should make sure when they're talking to local operators, get some, some testimonials, both from brokers and from the current management company's clients to really understand how have they performed in the past. Obviously, that's going to be a great indication. Um, you know, saving 1% on a management fee, but losing 60% of your gross income is, is painful. So, um, and, 1% on, and 1% on 12 units is probably less than a couple hundred bucks a month. I mean, it's yeah. nothing really when you're, I mean, one, one, more rent, one, more, uh, one more vacant apartment, I mean, washes out any type of savings you ever had there. But referrals for yeah. real estate are definitely, I mean, with mostly with any type of business, but especially with real estate, getting referrals for property management, financing, anything else it might be is definitely the way to go. There's not a, nothing really beats it. So, um, Absolutely. One, uh, Dan, you had, a, you had a friend that was very interesting because this is quite the portfolio that your French friend has. He has 600 units in Tampa and Jacksonville and he's self-managing them, which I imagine he has a team of 12 plus people for doing that type of, that type of uh, vast amount of units. Uh, how, how did you, how did he acquire these and he still lives in France? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so he certainly had an advantage that he started, uh, sort of compiling and acquiring properties around 2009 when, uh, you know, for your listeners that were investing in that time, deals were fairly easy to come by as compared with today, um, in 2019. So, uh, he was able to, to, he actually bought a lot of single family and then some very small multifamily. Mm-hmm. So that makes it even more challenging. You're talking 600 units where you're doing a, 
a deed transaction every week instead of <laughs> buying a hundred units here and a hundred units there. So, uh, but yeah, he just did it organically and naturally he started in Tampa Bay mm-hmm. uh, and then realized actually Jacksonville had a bit of uh, uh, kind of running room left on the single family side. So uh, he, he really has, has built a nice portfolio that way. So you're saying that a large percent of them are single family houses out of all those? Yeah. Wow. That, that is uh that's a management feat right there. I mean, if he has a system in place and he's not even, not even present, but I mean, buying him yeah. in 2009 is also much different than buying him in 2019 uh, if you had cash. So. Yeah, exactly. So buying right certainly helped. Um, and then he's, he's a very hands-on guy. And so yes, he does live in France. He actually lived in Portugal for a little while. Um, but yeah, he, um, he comes here a lot. Like I would say probably once every month or two and he has, he's built out a team. So we actually talked to him early on, you know, Hey, we're happy to manage for you if we can help. But, you know, a a third party manager is not right for every investment group. Mm -hmm. Uh, Admittedly, there are some pitfalls to kind of shopping out uh, your management. If you want a decision on every small detail of your portfolio, your property, a property management company is not for you because we have certain procedures we have to follow. We have our license to be concerned about with regulation. And so uh, you're kind of buying a management company's plan on how they operate property. If you have your own plan, uh, which that was the case for him, uh, Frank, uh, he really wanted to run it his own way. And so he built out, he came out, found a couple of great kind of staff folks that he could hire. Mm -hmm. They were his, they answered to him. They set policies by him, uh, and they, you know, of course, then hired some folks beneath them, and you know, he's now built out a very impressive team. Yeah, the logistics on that must be, must be something. I mean, that is just so many different doors spread out all over. I would imagine. But um, yeah. Dan, you were saying like lately you've been getting a lot of calls from Canadian buyers, and uh, what what type of properties are they looking for, and uh, are they looking for straight appreciation? Because I was talking to some people in uh, Toronto uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were telling me there's literally no cash flow in that market. So, you're right, Charles, and I think that's 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 what is driving a lot of Canadian interest. It's not so much the appreciation side; it's more that look, like you know, I'm used to investing in Vancouver, and I'm getting a three cap. Uh, boy, Florida looks awfully appealing, even though it's a you know seven cap, and they were you know, nine caps a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. seven cap today, sure as heck beats my three cap now. And so uh, a lot of investors I've found they're, they're here more for the cash flow uh, than the appreciation. Certainly some are here to be value add shops and improve turnaround properties very quickly. But most of the folks that have called us have been, Hey, you know, I'm looking at a 70 unit apartment complex. It's fairly stabilized, a little bit of room left to go on rents, but mm-hmm. I just need to clip a better coupon that I can get in Canada. Yeah. What a, now you were saying you have benefits when you speak to these, uh, these potential investors and you suggest them speaking to local appraiser, appraisers instead of brokers, which most investors start the process of investing. If they're U.S. investors or foreign investors, they start talking to brokers first uh, and they go that way in, whereas you're telling them to start on another, another end almost. Yeah, like a lot of folks will will ask me, what do you think of the market? How are rents doing? Um, do you think this is a good deal, et cetera? 
And, you know, everyone's return requirements are different. I can speak in broad brushes, but a lot of folks will say, oh, you know, I'm receiving a research report from X brokerage house. And, uh, you know, this is a company that transacts property. Their information is very valuable. You know, can I rely on that info? So generally you can, uh, and I don't mean to throw brokers under the bus. I used to be one myself, but brokers always have an angle. They're trying to create action. They're trying to get a seller to sell their property. They're trying to get a buyer to buy their property. Mm-hmm. So a lot of research reports that you'll read or when you talk to brokers, they're going to give you sort of actionable info. Uh, they're going to say, look, the market is changing very quickly. You need to act today. Uh, I like talking, if I want to understand markets, I like talking to appraisers. Uh, appraisers are the folks who truly value properties. They're the ones that a lender retains to say, what is the true value of this property because our client is buying it? Or what are the comparable rents in the market? Appraisers have vast data. I mean, we as property owners get calls from appraisers every few days. What are your rents lately? Uh, have you sold anything? What was the cap rate? They're out there with a totally impartial uh, view saying, you know, let me learn more about the market. And so I always tell folks, like, reach out to an appraiser uh, uh, local. They often are glad to talk because, frankly, they don't get any folks yeah. who call them and say, I want to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting because it's whenever you're getting a property, if you get an on-market property that comes out and they give you the memorandum on it and you look at the uh, pro forma rents and they're saying you get 1100 and then you speak to your local appraiser and they say you're getting 980 you know what I mean? Which is a huge difference uh, in price and uh, it's, it's crazy how that works, but that's a great, that's a great tip. So what are your opinions of the, I mean, of the greater Tampa MSA in general, like from where we are right now, we're, we're halfway through. Uh, 2019, what do you say when people, U.S. or foreign buyers, what do you talk to them if some, if someone comes to you that's interested in purchasing a property in an apartment complex, let's say? Yeah, uh, so our real focus is West Florida. And as a broad brush, I love it personally as a lifestyle. Um, there's a great community here, uh, fairly good job growth. Uh, particularly for what I would say a secondary market, um, great lifestyle, very low cost of living as compared with DC or Boston. Uh, and of course, we invest here ourselves. We believe in West Florida and really Florida as a whole. We believe very much in the area long term. Um, so I would say for folks looking uh, and comparing here versus, say, a Rust Belt town with population loss, Florida's very attractive. Just mm-hmm. simply riding population growth here can be an effective strategy as folks move from the snowbird states to the phoenixes of the world, to the Southern Californias, to the um, Georgia and Florida markets. However, just to put a small sort of caveat, I am concerned about investment property pricing. Um, I believe very much in the fundamentals. I think rents are going to continue to be very strong. I think that demographic trends are tremendous. But I do feel that investment groups are sort of adding an additional layer of hype to it, that folks are falling over one another to place capital to get a better yield than they can get in a CD. 
And so they're willing to accept uh, fairly nominal margins. I, I, you know, in other words, I don't think sort of investors are pricing risk correctly. Um, you know, a, a, a five cap rate when your debt cost is, say, 4.2%, um, it's a very thin margin for you as the investor. And there are a lot of things that can go wrong in real estate. Uh, the roofs all have to be replaced. The uh, a new property gets built next to yours, and now you have to offer concessions to get tenants in the front door. So, um, you know, there there may be a, a price correction to come. No one can break the future, including myself, and especially myself. So we could still keep riding this for another 10 years. Uh, I would just say a, a helpful tip. Uh, we always encourage folks to use patient capital, especially debt. You mentioned about that 12 unit. That's a great example. Um, patient capital will allow you to ride out any cycle because the folks who tend to get in trouble with price corrections are ones that are forced to sell all of a sudden. Generally, in multifamily, you can keep the ball moving. You can get rents, pay, uh, rents collected, expenses paid, um, but that's really the concern there is, uh, you know, the, the, the price correction kind of impatient capital that has to force a sale. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. The, um, yeah, it's with these low interest rates we have now, it's really, it's continuing the, the, the compression of the cap rates and everything, especially in Tampa with seven to 8% rent increases last year alone. Um, so it's just kind of crazy how many people are moving down into this area. And then also that there's just not enough inventory. Um, a couple things, uh, what would you say? And then we can, learn more about Palm Communities and what you guys do. If someone came to you, um, a foreign investor, let's say, and wanted to purchase an apartment complex, what would be the first couple of things, other than speaking to a local appraisers, that you would suggest them to do to get their ducks in a row before even speaking to a broker? Certainly a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, Bigger Pockets is a great online resource, even for folks buying 100-unit communities. Uh, we read a lot of the Bigger Pockets articles very regularly. Uh, read as much as you can. I don't necessarily mean that look at market news and say, you know, the news is saying that prices are going to go up 10% next year, so I'm going to buy because I'm relying on that information. Again, no one can predict the future. What I just sort of mean is more long-term uh, sort of research and reading, things that aren't necessarily – I'm not reading a news article about what rents are going to do between today and tomorrow. I just more want to learn about what regulations are like in the area, how investors can do successful deals, et cetera. So reading, I think, is just very valuable. Um, having a good attorney is very helpful. We've had a couple international clients who aren't familiar with local regulations. And, for example, they didn't set up their entity correctly and so they're being taxed in a, you know, sort of inappropriately, sometimes double taxed by both the U.S. and when they repatriate their capital into the local um, markets so, or yeah. into their local country. So a good attorney, local attorney to whatever market you want to go into is very helpful. Okay. And then finally, I would say a good operator. Um, again, doesn't have to be us. Uh, I'm happy to refer you, and I do refer you to other folks in the area to interview with. But yeah, just reaching out to find a good operator who's going to take care of your property locally is very helpful. And Dan, how can, how can listeners find out more about um, your company with Josh Diggs and Palm Communities? 
Uh, yeah, they're, they're welcome to visit our website, rentpalm.com, P-A-L-M. Uh, my email address, dan at rentpalm.com. Happy to talk to folks as they uh, review deals. Um, again, we're a very kind of low-pressure shop. Uh, we're very happy with our clients that we have. We don't need to hunt down another thousand units in business. So I'm happy to just talk to folks and understand their needs. Um, if we can help on the management side, great. If we can simply be a resource to say, hey, you know, you need to go to attorney. I'm happy to put you in touch with uh, someone who I've seen has done right by our clients three yeah. or four times over. Yeah, it's great for anybody coming into a new market, whether they're domestic or foreign, having the ability to have referrals and introductions to people that they might not even know about. Because um, some of the best operators, vendors, attorneys don't even advertise. So that's great. Well, and for your listeners, Charles uh, seems to know everyone even way more than any of us do. So uh, Charles is a huge, you know, you've been a great kind of contact in the, the area that you always seem to know good folks for inspections and lending and insurance and everyone else. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I really appreciate you being on the show and um, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.